Again, welcome everybody. I'd like to extend that welcome that was communicated earlier. Uh, most of you, many of you aren't sitting where you belong and so that's throwing me off a little bit. Uh, but I'll, I'll adjust and I hope that uh, you will adjust as well here as we come before the word. Uh, Kelly and I have just returned from uh, our vacation. I want to extend our thanks to you guys again. That's an incredibly gracious gift that this church gives to us and the opportunity to, uh, to take some time off and travel. We went up to the White Mountains in New Hampshire, enjoyed ourselves tremendously, and in passing conversations with you, if you ask how we are and how the trip was, we'll tell you that it was great and that will be about that. Uh, unfortunately, if you press us a little bit, both of us will get a little wild-eyed and talk to you nonstop about the White Mountains. We've become evangelists uh, for the glory of New Hampshire and the White Mountains up in there. So if you talk to us, we're going to get all excited. We unfortunately pinned a couple down on Friday night and talked at them nonstop for about two and a half hours. Uh, and we're likely to do that with you as well if you give us that opportunity. So we're really excited about... Uh, our experience and our time and vacation, and we're grateful for that. What is it that excites our Lord that way? Now, if you just talk to us in passing, we'll simply say, oh, we had a great vacation. You have to spend a little bit of time with us before we feel comfortable enough to start saying, look, here's some of the wonderful things we did and some of the wonderful things we saw. In passing, if you just briefly read the scriptures or if you come to church every once in a while, you'll get a general feeling for what excites God. But if you want to really know what excites God, spend time with him, ask him, and through his word, he'll talk to you. He'll communicate exactly the things that excite him so much. Now, the Bible talks about a whole bunch of things. The Bible talks about creation. The Bible talks about raising families. The Bible talks about funding. The Bible talks about a whole bunch of things. But you can tell, like when you talk with me, you can tell when I get excited about something. You can tell when you read the scriptures when God gets excited about something, when it's really hitting on something he's really... When the Bible speaks of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, when God talks about what his son did on the cross and all that led up to it, you can tell God's wild-eyed with hands waving. He's excited about that. That comes across when you read the scriptures. I think secondarily to that, what excites God so much about the scripture that comes across in the scriptures is his people. Think about that for a second. So much, for those of you who know your scriptures well, how much of the Old Testament talks about his people? How much of the New Testament does God talk about his people, us? And he gets wild-eyed when he's talking to us about what he thinks we are and who he wants us to be. It's something that makes God excited. And you can tell that in the way in which he writes these kind of passages to us. For instance, the passage today in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Uh, and as you know, I like the image of our submission to the Lord, of our respect for the scriptures. For when the text is read, I like if you could stand. So if you can, please join me and stand for the reading of God's word. Paul writes these words, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and who is in all. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And God, grant to us now an understanding of your word through the power of your spirit working in us, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Please be seated. And again, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And I hope, uh, now this is coupled with uh, the text that Jerry read earlier. And I, and I hope that you were able to be attentive to that text. Um, because if you put the two of them together, I think you can really sense the excitement of the author, Paul in particular, but the excitement of God as he speaks to us about who we are. Who are we as a people? What does it mean for us to be a body together, Christians together? Paul starts here in verse 1, he says, there, I therefore, and the therefore right away cues you in that we're jumping into the middle of an argument, and I apologize for that. This is not normally the way we look at a passage of Scripture, jump into just the middle of an argument without much background. Uh, so I'm going to summarize. The first three chapters of Ephesians basically lays out for us what Christ did for us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are in this room right now, the preceding everything in which we're going to look at right now, lays out for us what Christ did for us on the cross. What, what is it that brings us together as a people here? What is it that joins us here in this place? Now, I know some of you came to see your families or to see your friends or to sing or because that's just what you do on Sunday. I realize all that. But what God thinks you're doing here on Sunday morning is tied intimately to chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, where he says, look, this is what Christ did. This is what my son did for you. Once he lays that out for us, this is what Christ did for you. He says, I therefore, Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you. Uh, the word here is, is um, I've got my foot on your back and pushing you. Uh, you know, it, it, the urge is a strong advocation here. I urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling which you have received. He, Paul is urging us now to walk according to the, that which we have just heard. The first three chapters of Ephesians says, this is what God has done for you. Now, once we understand what God has done for you, Paul shifts here in chapter 4, God shifts here in chapter 4, and now says, okay, if you understand what God's done for you, then this is the way I want you to live your life. I want you to walk in a manner that is worthy. Walking. This is just a standard metaphor and image for how we live our daily lives. How, do you want, how are you to live your daily life? in a manner that is worthy of the calling which you have received. Now, we could spend all kinds of time on that. What is a calling that you have received? What is a manner that is worthy of the calling that you have received? And we're not going to explore all those things simply to say, you, as a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been called to something 
now live that way. In other words, God has done something in your life. He has accomplished something already. Now live faithfully that way. This is a standard call in the scriptures, and it's a standard call for any of us. If you are something, live that way. And according to Paul, we are something because of what Christ has done for us. Now live that way. Live according to the calling in which you have received. What are the signs that you are doing this? In verse 2, live with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, I need to back up for a second because Paul is not speaking like normally we would hear this. My guess is that most of us hear this as though, you know, how am I supposed to live? But the you here, when Paul says, I urge you, is not singular. Paul is not urging you as an individual. Paul is urging us as a body. Think about how fun it would be to explore and to talk and to share with one another. What does it mean for this church to walk in humility? Not just us as individuals, but this church to walk in humility. What would it mean for this church to be known as gentle. Can you imagine that? Somebody driving by this church and say, that congregation is a congregation of gentleness. I don't even know what that would look like. But man, I would love to think through that and explore that. What does it mean that we would be a congregation of patience? That we would be a congregation that is eager to bear with one another in love? And then in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. That we, as a body of believers, would be eager to maintain. And I want you to note something here. This is not Paul saying, pursue unity. Because the unity is not something we create. This is going to be fundamental to what we understand when we look at this passage here tonight, today. This passage speaks to the unity that we have as a gathering of Christians. The unity that we have as a gathering of Christians is not something that we create. It's not, Paul is not saying, hey, work hard to be united. Lots of organizations have to talk like that. A, a sports team has to talk about working hard to function well as a sports team. That's not our calling because God has made us one. That's the emphasis that Paul is saying here. We are already one. What are we supposed to do? We are supposed to maintain that unity. The word there means to keep it, to guard it, to recognize it, and to uh, uh, follow alongside of it. To, to maintain the unity is to recognize what God has already done and then to live faithfully according to that. Okay, that's all set up for the next lines. How are we to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? There is one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of them all. You can see that in the text. And you can hear it as I read it. The emphasis, the stress, over and over and over again on the oneness. Now, I want you to be pulled up short by this. So I want to say it dramatically. Watch me take off my glasses. The oneness 
here of all of these things are intimately linked together. The rejection of one oneness means that you are rejecting all of these onenesses. Paul is not sitting here just identifying a bunch of things that are all one. Well, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. What Paul is doing is he is saying, look, the oneness of the Spirit, the oneness of the God and Lord who is Father of all, makes all of these onenesses not just possible, but it makes them a reality. We have one faith. Why? Because we have one Lord. We have one baptism. Why? Because we have one Lord. We, in this room right now, are one. Why? It's not because you all like this place the same way. It's not because you all are eager to come. It's not because you all like each other. It's not because we are one because God has made us one. One body, Paul identifies us. Now, what's the implications of being one body? This is where we're going to look at the text that Jerry read for us earlier, and I want you to remember it a little bit. We are one body. Now that's an imagery, a metaphor that Paul uses, um, and we're so used to hearing it that I don't think that we necessarily spend time uh, thinking it through a little bit. So I want us to think through the metaphor. We call ourselves one body, and I think immediately all of us understand a little bit of what that means. It means that we kind of function as a group, and there's a group think here, and stuff like that. That's kind of what it means that we are one body. But when Paul uses the metaphor specifically, and this is the metaphor of choice for Paul when talking about the church. He uses the building imagery, he uses priesthood imagery, he uses family imagery, flock imagery, animal imagery. But overwhelmingly, when Paul wants to talk about the church, he talks about a body. And he has in mind here a literal, physical body. You can tell that by the text that Jerry read here. The picture is that when you become a Christian, you become part of a body. A, like, imagine it as a physical body that God has made, like God made Adam and gave to him a body. So God has made the church and given it a body. And Paul wants you to think of, our, of us in terms of that metaphor. God is the head, and all the rest of us somehow are part of his body. We are part of his body. Now, I think that means a couple things. Three things, the implications for that. First, we belong with each other. We belong with each other. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that there is something, okay, again, take the body imagery that Paul is using, and he uses this imagery to bang home this picture for us. Picture you seeing a finger that's wiggling its way down the street, or you walk into a room and there's a foot sitting at the table eating dinner you know you're in a horror film because things don't work that way. You're in a horror film if you see a part of the body that is off doing its own thing, doing it, uh, it's a part. Things don't work like that. 
The body only functions when it's together. If you see a part of the body off doing its own thing, you've got a horror film. We belong with one another. It's the way God created us. And if you are going to be the authentic you that everybody wants you to be, if you're going to be the authentic you the way that God has created you to be, you cannot be that authentic person separated from the body of Christ. He has made you, first and foremost, to follow after him as his disciple. And built into that is that you are part of this body. Now we get so used to the idea that we can join groups and then we can disjoin groups or we're part of a group for a while, then we're not part of a group for another while. And people view the church that way as well. I'm not talking about this physical building or even this congregation. I'm talking about the universal church of God. You have no choice if you're a follower of Christ. You are part of that body then live the life worthy of that calling. You will never be your authentic self, more so than when you are with God's people. Because that's what it means for you, for me, to be part of a body together. We cannot be separate physical parts of the body operating separately from one another. We cannot. We belong with one another. Secondly, we need one another. This is where Paul's illustration gets silly. It gets silly, even childish. And yet Paul continues with that. The hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you. Or the eye can't say to the nose, I don't need you. Now, of course, think about that. Imagine if yourself, you know, what would that look like? You know, you hitting yourself. Or I mean, that's, it's silly. It doesn't make any sense at all. And yet Paul pushes that metaphor so that you see how desperately we need one another. We belong with one another. We need one another. Luckily, here in a couple weeks, football is starting. Uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, so we've got football starting, so all things are going to come back into their normal focus in a few minutes. Uh, and, and one of the things that will happen is that the greatest running back in the world cannot succeed without a good line play. The greatest quarterback in the world cannot succeed without competent receivers. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm so sorry. I don't know what to say. But no, uh, if, that, if those things miss you, I apologize for that. A team can't succeed unless it functions together. But that's not the image that Paul puts forward to us. He doesn't say, look, you're all a team and you all have your role and you have to do your job so that the other people can do their job. He has a much more intimate connection for you, even more so than a team that functions well together, a football team that succeeds on every play. You are a body that are connected together. We cannot miss that. We cannot avoid that. We, uh, we belong with one another. We need one another, and finally, we influence one another. We influence one another. Uh, when was the last time you thought consciously of your pinky? My guess is not very often, unless you stoved it recently. You know, it's, you, know you jam your pinky? Okay, so about 
I don't know how long it was, 10 years ago, let's say 10 years ago, um, uh, I stoked my pinky. And it was my pinky. Well, who cares? It's your pinky. You never use your pinky until you stove it. Then you realize that you use your pinky all the time, and it bugs you. And the pinky bugged me. Just It's a wee little part of my body, but it bugged me all day long. And it influenced everything I did. I was terribly surprised by that, that it bothered you so much of the time. We are a body, a collective body together, where one person hurts, the whole body feels it. Where one person rejoices, the whole body feels it. Have you ever had some kind of a chronic pain, something going on, but then something happens great in your life? What happens to the chronic pain? Suddenly you're not paying any attention to it. You're not thinking about it. Why? Because your body is rejoicing in something that is glorious and good. I cannot be the man of God that God desires me to be without you. I cannot. C.S. Lewis runs a great illustration. He says, imagine three friends. Three friends, and one of them dies. Now, what's the loss? The loss is the loss of that friendship. Uh, I lose the friendship with Joe because Joe dies. But not only that, I lose the friendship that Joe had with Sam because Joe died. It's not just that my loss because of Joe dying, I also lose the loss of the relationship, being part of it, seeing Joe and Sam interact together. When you don't come to Bible study, it negatively impacts me. When you come to Sunday school, it positively impacts me. When we worship together as a body, we influence one another we can't help it. That's the way God made us. In light of that, Paul urges us and says, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. If you have received the calling to be part of the body of Christ, either here in this congregation or wherever, if you have received the calling to live, to, to live as part of the body of Christ, no, sorry, if you're a Christian, you have received that calling. That is part of how God has created you. Now live your life worthy of that calling. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we are grateful for the calling that you have given to us, that you have created us as men and women, holy and righteous in your sight, and now you give us the opportunity to live as part of a body together, belonging to one another, influencing one another, needing one another. And Lord, that we are at our best when we are fulfilling that calling that you have given to us. Help us to do that faithfully here, now, and always, in every way. All, Lord, we pray for the glory of your name. In Christ we ask these things. Amen.